Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, January 6th, 2023. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute fellow Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. So January 6th, obviously a resident date, and Democrats are uh, sure are, are making sure that we believe that we understand its residents um, as much as possible. Joe Biden's having some kind of a ceremony marking the second anniversary of the insurrection with uh, the presentation of civilian medals of honor to 12 people who somehow were involved in trying to stop or do things to on January 6th and with democracy protection like Ruby Freeman, uh, this woman in Atlanta who became, was being trashed by Trump and the Trumpians um, for supposedly taking a zip drive out. And it turned out, what was it? It was a cookie or I can't even remember what it was. It was a ordinary thing that, that, that was uh, converted by the psychotics around Trump into a zip drive with fake votes in it um i mean it's interesting because uh you would think that this is kind of like overplaying your hand like okay congratulations like you the election of 2022 went well for democrats democrats now control the senate without question and you know and we can see the results of the incredibly uh, narrow and disappointing victory for dem for republicans in the house in the hijinks in the house um, and you would think like, just take the win and, you know, don't like beat a dead horse, but, um, this isn't a dead horse to them. And I'm not sure it is a dead horse. Uh, maybe this is the gift that keeps on giving and that they're right politically to make a big deal out of it. Because if Trump and the deniers are going to continue to play this hand, there is literally no reason for Democrats not to play the hand also, if it has uh political, and social returns for them. I don't know how they can be accused of overusing it if, you know, Trump can't shut up about it. And, you know, these uh, m most of these uh, lunatics who are trying to hold up the speakership vote are themselves election deniers and, uh, and, and are attempting to get rules in place that will allow them to pursue their election denialism uh, into the, into the Congress uh, for the next two years. So, so if, I rem if I remember this right, it's right around 2004. And that's when I started to notice that's when Fahrenheit 9-11 came out. It was it was the the period at which point the of the left said it's time to move on from 9-11. We need to stop thinking about 9-11 and start thinking in the present and what 9-11 is, is producing, what's what it's what its results are, what it's doing to our society. Because they didn't want us to talk about 9-11 because 9-11 galvanized the country in the direction they didn't like. That didn't mean 9-11 wasn't important. It just meant it wasn't politically, it didn't politically advance their objectives. Sort of the same thing. January 6th was a traumatic and how did Bush attack, win attack on the United States. And it's salient and relevant in that and that, that alone. And that it advances a particular political objective that you're on the wrong side of means that you're on the wrong side of it. That's your right, problem. Your analogy is interesting because how did Bush win in 2004? He was behind Kerry by all accounts, including Bush people's own accounts. <clears throat> in September of 2004, he leaned into 9-11. He gave a series of speeches and rallies and stuff in which he explained why he had done what he had done, why he went into Iraq, how the battle was joined, why the fight against Islamic radicalism was still important, and why uh, pretending that it wasn't as important as other things was wrong. And it propelled him <clears throat> through this moment of like, okay, it was three years ago. Let's, let's move on into, into the uh, second term of his presidency. Your analogy is good because why shouldn't Biden commemorate the victory over the forces of darkness on January 6th? I mean, the, the attack there, on, I'm just saying, go ahead. I mean, what he there, would call the victory, uh, the forces of darkness. No, I, I like the analogy, but I think there there is a difference in that um, 9-11 created a situation that demanded 
our continued vigilance. I'm not sure, even though there are Democrats who sort of make the case that there we are still sort of fighting the forces of January 6th. Um, in a way, we're not there. There, I mean, I I understand that yes, the the the, the lunatics are sort of still election deniers, um, but there's not still there 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 is not a conspiracy to to take the capital uh continuously at work the way there there was this constant threat uh of of islamist terrorism that we had to be vigilant against there's also there's also a a risk here for democrats i don't think for biden so much as for you know house and and senate democrats particularly house democrats that they they need to be careful how far they push the election denier claim, right? So Hakeem Jeffries, who's the leader now in the House for the Democrats, himself in 2016 said that the election of Trump was illegitimate. It was the result of Russian influence. You know, he's all over. He was all over social media saying this. And so now he's like, we have to fight election denial. Election denial is totally unacceptable. January 6th, blah, blah, blah. So there's there's a certain level of kind of, well, it, it's interesting how the term has morphed to uh, embrace only people who are on the the Trump side of the aisle denying elections. It's pretty bad when anyone does it. And we're, we've we've been, I, I certainly been beating the dead horse about this since Stacey Abrams claimed she was the legitimate governor of Georgia. But so, so I do think they have to, they have to be careful not to push it a little too far. And it's interesting that Biden's doing this whole ceremony and anything, but then it's back to business as usual for Biden. He's heading to his Delaware beach house in the afternoon as he always does every, every Friday. So uh, it, it seems, I don't have any problem with him uh, acknowledging the, the, uh, uh, bravery and valor of law enforcement who had to deal with that mob on January 6th. There's, I have no problem with that. They have gotten a lot of attention already. Um, I'll be interested to see if this continues next year. So last year we had the candlelight vigil with the TV special and all the singing from, from House members on the steps of the Capitol. Now we have Biden doing a thing. We'll see how they choose to commemorate this. But be careful if you're a Hakeem Jeffries uh, beating that horse because, you know, there's some hypocrisy there. I mean, there may be, but again, here's my question. So, uh, Abe, you're saying that you know there, there, you don't require vigilance in the same way, right? But again, the I think the democratic theory is yes, yes, you do. They're still there. There's, they're, you know, they're they're in the Congress. Uh, there's some in the Senate. Um, there are local officials all over the country, and uh, the internet is still there. Elon Musk uh, is trying to. Um, strip social media companies of their ability to monitor and watch extremists online uh, and and figure out how to you know interfere with their transmission points. So who knows what that will lead to? And I have this feeling that on the one hand you have this very you know oh my god it's a terrible threat to democracy, and on the other hand there is a quality of the uh, like what is going on this week in the House. Of Democrats sitting there, you know, like the cat who ate the canary or saying, don't throw me in that briar patch. Like Republicans acting crazy is what Democrats need to maintain their hold on power in the United States. And they have just spent three, four days acting crazy and they're going to continue acting crazy. And when they make this deal that will, I think, get Kevin McCarthy the speakership, they're going to have some kind of free hand to act crazy for another two years and just, you know, like make the argument that Obama was desperate to make in 2010, 2011, 2012, which is you just, you can't deal with these people. They're all nuts and they weren't all nuts then. And a lot of them are nuts now. And what, you know, you want a recipe for a return to American statism. This is the best recipe that I can possibly imagine. Um, which is uh, a two-year period in which Republicans nationally make it clear nationally that they are not, it is that they cannot be trusted with the reins of power uh, in the United. That's how serious I think this is. Like if, if Republicans had won 25 seats or 30 seats in the House and there had been a smooth sailing you know, with McCarthy becoming speaker, and if they had won the Senate uh, and all that, um, de trying to make a big deal out of January 6th would seem like a desperate Hail Mary play. Now it's like, you know, let me just reinforce 
my winning argument. Like I got to do it every couple of months just to remind people and not <laughs> us and not Republican, but <clears throat> those people who made the difference in 2022, including the ticket splitters, including the people who voted for Brian Kemp, but didn't vote for Herschel Walker or, you know, voted for Mike DeWine, but didn't vote for J.D. Vance. You know, those people that that is a good message like you just you just say look at them i we're not even doing anything we're just pointing out them look at them is this they're what you want of from your country they're cap- oh they they're are absolutely they I are mean, this is how, yeah. this is how they overreach there's a piece in raw story now by matt laslo quotes a couple of lawmakers democratic lawmakers who worry about a mass shooting on the house floor and i'm not joking Quote from Eric Swalwell, a lot of my Republican colleagues glorify violence and proudly display the firearms that they have in their offices. So it makes me nervous that we could have a workplace violent event in the Congress. They're not the most stable people. Dan Kildee, representative from, I think, Oregon. There's a frightening group. Washington. There's a lot of there's a frightening group of people over there. I used to assume that nothing crazy could happen here. I no longer assume that after January 6th, I don't assume anything anymore. So it's a little concerning. Yeah, nobody's afraid they're going to get shot on the House floor by Republican members. Sorry, that's foolish. And it's silly for you to try to make us believe that that's what you believe. Um, So it's capable of a breach. I really don't want to sound like the Lincoln Project. I don't want to sound like people like that. No, I don't believe. I don't believe they honestly, if you shot them full of sodium pentothal, I don't think they'd say that. Look, first of all, they can talk themselves into believing anything, and we have this one historical example, right? We have Dan White shooting Harvey Milk and uh, and George Moscone in in City Real Hall. Historical example. Okay, well, it's it, within my historical memory. Like that was 1978. It wasn't. It wasn't. You know, it wasn't the caning of uh, of Sumner on the on the house floor in 18 There used to be regular assaults on the house. I mean we should remind yeah. Americans but people used was, to get into yes. fist fights all the time in the 19th yeah. century. And, you know, <laughs> we've seen other we've seen other parliaments, right? I mean the South Korean parliament famously every year a couple of years there's like a brawl on the floor. I'm I I'm not saying that it will happen. I'm really not. But um you can talk yourself into anything and, you know, they're removing the magnetometers and da, 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 da. I mean, I'm not, and the, I'm just saying like, you can't just say <clears throat> they don't believe it for, I don't know Eric Swalwell. And he's like a, he's a, he's a, a demagogue. He was a mark a, for a, a Chinese spy, most likely. Yeah. And a ludicrous person. But could he believe sincerely that, you know, Lauren Boebert or, could shoot him? I don't see why he can't believe that sincerely. I mean, there are, I listened to Bob Good of Virginia on with Neil Cavuto. Now, Bob Good, I don't think is the person that Eric Swallow think is going to shoot him in the head. Okay. So I don't think that's, but I listened to him yesterday for five minutes and that guy is cuckoo for Coke. That guy is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, lunatic crazy. And he's the guy who ousted Denver Riggleman uh, at the Virginia convention by 200 votes or something because there was no primary. There was only one of these nominating conventions in the Republican Party. And he is crazy. I mean, and again, I don't think he's the guy who's going to pull out a gun. But I mean, there are five, six, seven, eight of those guys who are crazy. Like if you worked, if they worked in your workplace and they were walking down the hallway toward you, you would make a beeline into the men's room. Not Christine, who would not make a beeline into the men's room, but you would make a beeline into the men's room to get the hell away from them in case they fixed you with their long gray beard and glittering eye. I mean, this is not a joke. Now, again, 435, are there crazy Democrats? Yes, Sheila Jackson Lee is crazy. I You could probably make the case that Cori Bush is crazy. I, I don't, you know, I mean, there. it's not like, again, it's a lot of people. And, you know, so, you know, four, three, four percent of them are ambulatory psychotics. That makes perfect sense. Truly representative of our great nation. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't I don't think that's the plausible threat. And I'm with Noah. I don't think that they think that's the plausible threat. I think there is a plausible threat in the, the idea of an on something that requires ongoing vigilance uh, in that there are people out there not who are not in who are not actually serving in government 
but who listen to the crazies uh, in government and who are uh, in a fragile state of mind and who can find each other online and who and God knows, you know, what 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 we could be looking at uh, six months in a year. Doubtless, I mean, years, have, doubtlessly, but that's the argument Democrats make for, you know, uh, observing January 6th because there's an ongoing threat that yeah. these people yeah. are incubating. Uh, look, well, look, we, we, we've convicted 200, 200 people have been sent to prison as a result of their behavior on January 6th and over 900, 200 have been convicted and sent to prison. Uh, okay. 900 were arrested. A lot of them are still going through either plea right. deals or, or their prosecutions. But that's a lot of people. So, I mean, in the, it, which, again, like that's not going to be um, the, the system has brought many of them to justice. It is a little worrisome that they still haven't found the person who planted the pipe bombs around town. That's concerning. But, you know, it's not as if the system isn't isn't actively and aggressively prosecuting the people who who uh, participated that day with the uh, obviously the Democratic messages. They should be prosecuted. You know, it's Trump who they need to is the big get. But Look, I, I don't want to I, I want to make clear that I'm not saying that it's not ridiculous to say you're going to get shot on the House floor. I think it's probably ridiculous to say you're gonna, not going to get shot on House. You're going to get shot on the House floor. But it's not. 100% ridiculous, number one. And number two, I'm talking about what is good politically for Democrats. And I thought that they were overplaying their hand on January 6th in, I don't know, May. And I was wrong. And I don't think they're overplaying their hand. The American public responded to the arguments that they made. And the argument that they made is not that ideological. That's what's important about the Republican behavior this week versus the democratic behavior which is no behavior the, the democrats aren't doing anything except voting for hakeem uh, jeffries right they're just sitting there saying look at these people just just look at them we're just going to sit here we're going to vote for hakeem jeffries occasionally somebody is going to issue a, a, a an incendiary tweet but mostly not just look at them just just look at them and Ordinary people who are not that politically invested, they want people in Washington to do their jobs. Like it, this is time and again, we have evidence that what they want people, what they're angry about is this idea that people in Washington are taking advantage of them by getting elected or running things. And then they don't do anything good and everything is about them and everything is for them. And, you know, and, they hired them and they're not doing anything. And we're just having like a real world example of this right now. And this insane argument, I know I keep going with craziness, but so there's a whole bunch of people supporting the revolt against McCarthy. And they're saying, this is democracy in action. We're having debates on the house floor. That's how it should be. And this is a debate. This is what democracy, why do you want to circumvent democracy? This isn't democracy. These are caucus votes of 435 people. This is not a democratic process. I mean, it's a democratic process in the sense the majority rules and the majority winner becomes speaker. And speaker is a constitutional office, one of the, I think, four or five constitutional offices mentioned in the Constitution, right? The president, the vice president, the speaker, the president pro tem of the Senate, and the, and the, and the, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, I think. Is that right? Anyway, at least there are four or five named offices. But this is not what democracy is. This is just you hijacking a process so that the spotlight is on you and you can scream and yell and be crazy. Like that, that's not what demo if that's what democracy is, then every argument that has been made since the origins of democracy is true you know every right. argument against democracy shakespeare's That's exactly argument right. against okay yeah well the federalist the, the federalist papers argument is against democracy what they're asking for we talked about this yesterday is a radical decentralization of authority in the house which is little d democratic in ways that should terrify anybody who is actually apprehends what the meaning of the word is as opposed to just a synonym for good which is how it's generally used today and, and i, mean, I want to be sympathetic to a lot of the things that the insurgents are saying yeah. nobody likes giant monstrosity omnibus bills and build back better frankensteins nobody likes that stuff earmarks are kind of grubby you know open uh regular order and open debate on germane amendments 
that'd be great. All this stuff is just grease to make the skids work, to grease legislation and make the make the organization and the institution work. And it's kind of gross how it's come together, the, the way in which it works now. Uh, I'd love to be on on their side. But what they really want is to aggregate power for themselves by disaggregating authority across the across the whole of the of the Congress. And then Matt Gates comes out and says the quiet part out loud that he wants to transform the speakership into a ceremonial position and make sure that the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus has as much or more authority as the highest constitutional officer in the in the Constitution, this, you know, in, in, the, in the, the head of the first article. Uh so, I mean, yeah, it's kind of hard to be on their side, but philosophically, they make a lot of arguments that resonate with me, and I want to agree with them. Even though, you know, we, we talked about this yesterday, John, you, you introduced this, the Republican Study Committee's budget is a pretty normal, rational document. It's not a crazy document. And then Bob Good was on the floor yesterday in one of his nominating speeches for somebody who knows, some alternative just to keep this thing going. They're saying, well, you know, we have this balanced budget. And then you dug up this tweet that found out that it actually funds the funds the support for the war in Ukraine. Like it seems yeah. like a pretty rational, normal document and might even actually get us in the black. But, you know, that's they, not actually they, what they want. All of these are just Trojan horses, unfortunately, because if they actually meant what they were saying, I could maybe find a find a points of, of agreement. But there's some irony in, in the same group that that rails against the deep state's influence themselves want to set up a congressional version of the deep state, right? Like they want the Freedom Caucus to actually have all the power in Congress and run things, whereas the speaker is the one who should keep his, you know, the party discipline and everything. I mean, and they're also they're also embracing something that I think we forget about being a very popular position. We talk a lot about people profiting from playing the victim in this case, you can also profit from grandstanding. They're just doing epic amounts of moral grandstanding. And grandstanding doesn't require uh, logic or consistency. It just requires the attention of people who point to you and go, that's crazy. And that's what they're getting. That, that is the end for them. That is not a means. That's an end. I mean, there's so, also, I just, yeah, there's this, there's, you know, it's indicative of another shift in thinking on the right, which, which is that there was always, uh, there were always conservatives who had this um, sort of tick where if you were talking about the U.S. and you described us as a democracy, they'd say, oh, we're not a democracy. We're a republic. We're a democratic republic. And I say, yeah, I know. I'm just talking colloquially, uh, colloquially, and I understand. Um, and now it's kind of the same people who have now sort of decided to sort of fetishize this idea of this is democracy, democracy, democracy. I mean, they have their own sort of there is their, their the, the right has their own, I think, sickening uh, democracy fetish on the right. I mean, if, if that's where they're headed with this. But it's also bizarre because if democracy is majority rule, you've got 200 people voting for McCarthy and 20 voting for somebody else. Like so they're, they're only 10 percent of the body is holding this up. So that is actually using kind of Republican logic, right? Which is, I mean, Republican in the Democratic Republic sense, which is in a Democratic Republic, you protect the rights of the minority. In a in a direct democracy, the minority has no rights. That is the nature of direct democracy is that, you know, 50% of you want to say, uh, I'm, I'm taking Abe's apartment and I'm going to, you know, I'm expropriating it and I'm going to, make it into you know a party space there's nothing you can do about it that's what the majority says that would be you know athenian democracy you know you create these constitutional protections and all of that to protect the minority against the majority so the the fact that they are using their minority that extreme minority status to gum up the works and make it impossible for things to go forward that is a hallmark of uh indirect democracy, you know, indir you know, the indirection or the uh, intermediate steps that are put in place to prevent democracy from from taking hold. OK, since we're, we were talking about democratic theory and all of that, let me let me propose to you this. I think I, I sort of hinted at this uh, when we were talking to Matt Continetti the other day, but um, looking at the 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 rebels here and what they want and Kevin McCarthy and what he wants and the structure of the Republican Party since 2015. 
Um, what we've seen over the last six years is that uh, Mitch McConnell is the same Mitch McConnell that Mitch McConnell was when Trump rose and obviously had this very poisonous relationship with Trump. He, you know, Trump insults him constantly. Uh, Trump insulted. Him. Now he's, you know, making racist, uh, not even dog whistles, just all out, out and out racism about about his own cabinet secretary, who was Mitch McConnell's wife, Elaine Chow, and and all of that. Um, and Mitch McConnell uh, kept to an idea, an image of how you had to run the Senate or how you had to be in the Senate and how and function in the Senate, and has doggedly remained there, uh, with perhaps one gigantic error, uh, which was not trying to rally his forces to vote for Trump's conviction. Um, McCarthy, a donor class Republican, you know, blow dried, uh, raises money, all of that, of course, goes way toward Trump in order to consolidate his own power. I just think what we're seeing in all these places, not in the governor's mansions, but but in the House and all this is, a complete degeneration of political skill on the part of the Republican Party. They nominate people who can't win. They go to the House. They don't have any idea how to use the powers of the House to get things done. They have refocused their energies on the famous platform rather than, you know, mold that they're, they're trying to use the institution as a platform rather than molding them into institutional players. And, um, this is an interesting like Trump came in and broke everything. Uh but he didn't put anything in its place. So everything is still broken politically. The Republican Party is politically broken and the results of 2022 are a, de- a demonstration of the fact that they're politically broken since the fundamentals of the race said that there should have been a Republican tsunami and there wasn't and it wasn't because the Democrats were so good at what they were doing it's that the Republicans were so bad at what they're doing. And I think there is a massive competency problem here in the Republican Party that actually goes to the fact that Kevin McCarthy has no tools to uh, to to contest against this rump that has gone after his jugular. And again, if I'm a Democrat, I'm just sitting there with my popcorn bucket saying, you know, can anybody here play this game? Which is what Casey Stengel said when he was managing the 1962 Mets and they won 40 games and lost 120. Like the Republicans don't know how to be, how to play politics anymore. McConnell kept his powder dry and managed to do what he could do in, in the Senate. Uh, God knows what he's going to do now that there are 51 Democratic votes instead of 50. But the, but the Republicans in the House have completely lost the thread, uh, partially because of Trump and then partially because they didn't have power in the last two years of Trump's administration or in the first two years of Biden's. Uh, where That's my theory. Uh, or is this just something they just need to get their sea legs together and they're having this momentary spasm and maybe they'll all figure out how to work and do things? I mean, we're only talking about 20 members. So the they, we have to define way, way down. And a lot of them are the usual suspects, with the exception of like your Chip Roy's, who are actually really you know, thoughtful conservatives who really actually are repulsed by how the House does business in ways that, I, like I said, I'm sympathetic to. Um, so we, we have to define our terms way, way down. The dynamic here is that it's very much like the mansion cinema dynamic look. Yes, two people can control this conference when it's a two-person majority or it's a one-person majority, not even a majority. It's not even a majority when it was when it was them. If you have a problem with that, you should elect more members. That's perfectly <laughs> sensible and fine. And that's actually the logic that they're applying here in this case. The problem is, is that on the Democratic side, <laughs> the people who were the, the rogues were more to the right and rendered them more sensible and stopped them from ru- rushing headlong off more cliffs than they already fell off of. Uh, on the Republican side, they're the opposite. <laughs> they're the ones pushing them off the cliff. It's the same dynamic, a little bit more malignant. 
Um, I just think that um, uh, political skills are like uh, body toning and that um, you need to exercise them or they degrade over time because politics is not necessarily intuitive, particularly when it's rules-based, particularly when you have these bodies, right, the Senate and the House, even the executive branch, that have 200 and some odd years of encrusted procedure um, some of it very recondite, hard to follow, hard to understand. And if you're not a master of it, if you don't know how it works, if you can't know, if you don't know how to manipulate it, if you don't know how to, you know, squeeze things through special provisions that, you know, have been in place that you don't even know about, you can't really do these things effectively. And it's not clear to me that the republican knowledge of how to of how to manage in government um hasn't as i say degraded um and maybe that's gross and it shouldn't be like that you know it's like you said earmarks are gross noah right you said earmarks are gross but earmarks which you know republicans have been at war with since 1994 in different ways and then they banned them i think in 2011 when they came in and Earmarks were the least gross way to do graft. That was the point about earmarks is that, you know, we just, there was out and out graft that people got paid off personally. There's don't get yourself paid off personally. We'll figure out ways in which to spend money in your districts so that you can have job security. And then you won't have to take money and be, you know, the, the handmaiden to the local gangster, you know, like, there will always be bad actors and dishonest behavior. So what, uh, what, uh, what, what Jews called minhagim, like local custom, what customs arise over time to deal with, to create the lesser of two evils. And that's just the problem. That. But yeah. Not just that earmarks. And this is one of the reasons when, when, the, when they came back, Republicans were actually quite split over how, whether or not to get rid of them. And in fact, this is, just judging by the size of this rump that's in the revolt here, that's the consensus opinion on the right as well as the left, that earmarks grease the skids for legislation that otherwise wouldn't get through. This is why we have, why do we have big sprawling compromise bills that encompass a lot of issues? Because single issue vote issues bills don't pass in the absence of a real exigency or one party dominance. Why do we what? have no term limits? Because if you do have term limits, you'll have K Street is the only people who understand how to navigate Congress. Right. Why do we have open rules? Because if you don't have an open rule, then vulnerable members have to take really politically damaging show votes and it project protects the majority. All these things are kind of gross, but it's how the institution works. And otherwise it, it doesn't. It, and it's and worse, what they want and right. what they want is an institution that doesn't work. Well, Very that's specific. Being, right. Well, they would say that they do want it to work. They just want it to be pure and purification rituals are always incredibly dangerous because it turns out that there is a certain amount of, there has to be a certain amount of sin and evil within the system because you can't ban it from the human heart. So maybe what happens is that you get the system over time that is the least destructive given all of the alternatives. And we're now going back into a period in which there is going to be some kind of weird effort to purify the system, but not that much, because what do they want to do with their power? They want to punish Democrats for the impeachments. They want to they want to spend two years and a hundred million dollars investigating Hunter Biden, who is not an elected official of the United States government. You know what I mean? I mean, I understand. I don't have anything against inv investigating Hunter Biden. I really don't. And I think that probably this would be a very interesting thing to do. Having said that, you know, he is, was the son of somebody. And yeah, if it gets to the somebody, then that's serious. And maybe the big guy is Biden and all of that. That's still a reach. That's still, a, and we have the justice department who is on Hunter Biden right now. That's what they want. They want to use their power to punish the Democrats for their misbehavior. Is that pure? Is that, I mean, I understand that even politically. My, in my, you can't let shots, you know, go on, you know, you can't, 
You bombed Dresden because they bombed London. Was it terrible to bomb Dresden? Yes. Did they have to do it? Yeah, because you can't let them bomb London and not suffer comparable consequences back in Nazi Germany. Okay, but you can't claim that you are doing this because you're on the side of the angels. You're doing it for Machiavellian reasons, and you are therefore, if you're doing it for Machiavellian reasons, also you can allow earmarks, and you can allow omnibus bills and stuff like that. Because you're either pure or you're not pure. You can't be pure over here and then like a naked power politician over here. That's not, you can, you can try. No, but but the, I mean, in some sense, this is a kind of, we, we see cycles of this, right? They're all kind of temporary versions, right? So do you remember when it was all about how the lobbying bans, like Obama came in, he's like, I will not have lobbyists in my administration. I have all these rules I'm setting up. I'm so much better than previous administrations. That lasted for like, I don't know, six months. And then they started tweaking the rules and making exceptions to the rule. And pretty soon it was the same revolving door that it's always been. Um, but there is some, they obviously see some political value in being temporary virgins. And so they're doing a kind of, the, the purity comes from the political reward they they think they will get from a short attention span public voting public that says, look, they're doing this radical new thing. They're so much better than the other side. And then, you know, six months later, when everyone's attention has moved on, they go back to the way things were. That's kind of how our system has always functioned, I think, unless okay. it gets in, unless it gets actually baked into the rules, which is a different different thing. So let me propose to you my Machiavellian theory. Or my Machiavellian proposal. I mentioned this the other day, actually, so it's not new. But um, Kevin McCarthy agrees to everything that he has to agree to. It's on paper. It's on a piece of paper. Signs a piece of paper. Says, you'll get this. I'm not doing that. I won't intervene in primaries. I won't do this. I won't do that. And then he becomes speaker, and they can vote him out in one vote. Or, you know, they can call the motion to take him out in one vote. And then he just breaks every agreement that he that he made it's not a legally binding document you know i mean he not only he has to do that a little bit or he will be matt gates's ceremonial speaker that assumes a level of personal courage we haven't yet witnessed well so you want to walk around you're 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 like now you're nero but you're a eunuch i mean my assumption is that he's the what he's willing to put on the table suggests that he wants this brass ring and doesn't care how he gets it and is not inclined to challenge retroactively the conditions that brought him into the sunlit uplands he's oh. been so desperate to get to. First of all, I, I I don't know him, so I don't know what's in his head or how 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 he thinks or all of that. But in this case, you've got a you have a series of things that have to happen for you to get into power. Okay, this happens all the time, right, in, in political campaigns. You have to say you're for this, you have to say you're against that. You're this, you want this piece of it, you want that. You're pro-life, you will never vote for it, you know, but whatever. You say whatever you have to say to get the job, then you get the job, and then it is blow you, people. I, you know, I will do what I have to do in my own best interest. And yeah, they'll be able to call uh, you know, motion to vacate. So let him call a motion to vacate. We're just back here. Call motion to vacate. It's not like they got somebody else who's going to get 218 votes. Maybe. And Hakeem Jeffries is not going to get 218 votes. How yeah, many times can they do this? How, this, how does this? how does this work when it's time to raise the debt ceiling? I was just going to bring up the debt ceiling because that's actually the Democrats, I think, have been wisely hammering that. It's like they're going to blow up the debt ceiling. They're going to destroy government. They're and it's a real thing. They're not. That's not hysterical. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. Legit. (laughs) When when it's when it comes time to hike the debt ceiling in September, I think, uh, or pass a CR, who knows, whatever Republicans are going to be up in arms about. And all of talk radio and all of Fox News is going to be banging the drum saying, don't do this, don't do this. And this is a giveaway to Democrats. And how dare you? And we've been betrayed by the speakership. And he's got to go. One person puts a motion to vacate and the vacate gets a vote. And maybe it gets a pretty big vote. I, I wh- Where does it get the big vote from? I can the see the same clowns who are clowning around right now. <laughs> I can see That's not a big members. vote. Well, It'll be the same twenty people. I don't think. In other so. words, we're just you'll get more you think, for that. Wait, yeah. I don't think we're gonna get. They'll get. I don't more think you'll get that. a majority. I don't think you'll get two eighteen. I can see one hundred and fifty defections over something as as 
first principles as basic what? as, what? as on the, budgetary. They, they will want to coo- they will want to coo out McCarthy. Or are you talking about the vote well, against knows. the debt ceiling? Uh, no, I'm no the vote against the debt ceiling. All, all the vote against the debt ceiling is it works entirely in reverse, which is Biden needs the debt ceiling raised. Every Democrat will vote to raise the debt ceiling. And then you just need five Republicans to vote to raise the debt ceiling. And if if um, we're six or something like that, and if the crazies are the crazies, you will have suburban Republicans who will say, look, we ha- I have to keep the government open. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, you, you guys want to go to Yosemite next week. Uh, you know, I, I made sure you could go to Yosemite next week. Or get I, your I don't think Republicans will be swayed by the argument that we have to keep the government open. What you're 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 saying Republicans like the Republicans are cohesive. We've just learned the Republicans aren't cohesive at all. You think every Republican in that caucus of 222 or 230 wants the government to shut down? That is not true. That has never been true. Well, there's some moderates who are being a little more vocal now, at least in the talking to reporters saying, you know, it's time to a lot of us are saying, let's just pick a speaker and move on. We need to govern. So there and but, you know, it's still like I don't know what happens with the debt ceiling. I genuinely don't. I'm really now just talking about the motion to vacate thing, which is. McCarthy, the discipline they have on McCarthy is that one person can move a motion to vacate and then everything has to stop while they vote. So he'll be speaker then. It'll be a fait accompli. Then you really do have a situation in which the coup, if he's not going to quit because Boehner quit because he didn't, he couldn't stand this anymore. If he, he, he now has a different battle, which is Fine, go ahead, vacate. Go ahead, vote vote on a motion to vacate. Go come after me. Who do you got? You want to really tell your voters that you made the Democrats the Speaker of the House instead of me, and think you're going to get away with it? And what's more, if all this is over, like it is war of all against all. If something happens where we get this weird thing where a Republican majority ends up with a Democratic Speaker. You know, you think the Republican donor class isn't going to go and cut off Matt Gates's head and Bob Good's head and and Lauren Boebert's Lauren Boebert only won by 500 votes. You think she survives in 2024? Lauren Boebert's not going to survive in 2024 anyway, by the way, um, because uh, they now know how to beat her and they almost beat her out of nowhere with a kind of flaky guy. And maybe he'll run again and win. I'm just saying, like. The stat there is no status quo. <clears throat> McCarthy becomes speaker and signs this document. He has to break the document. I think about it like Rupert Murdoch when he made the deal with the Bancroft family on the Wall Street Journal, and he said, "Yes, there'll be a board. I agree to having a board that will make help me make decisions so that I don't take the journal in a tabloid fashion." And then he had this board, and then he was like, "Up yours, board. I own this. Like, what do you think? Who's going to sue me over this? Are you crazy?" I just said this so I could get the journal. That's what this piece of paper is. And, you know, uh, it'll it's an interesting test of McCarthy's character about when he's going to have to do it at some point. Obviously, he doesn't need to do it provocatively the minute that he gets the speakership. But he can't agree to this. He can't agree to the the House rules, you know, having, having the... Uh, Having the House Freedom Caucus control the Rules Committee, so we yeah, are now to that? We, we are now talking about McCarthy's speakership as if it's an inevitability. Is 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 that where we're, we're at with this? I, I mean, I, I know, I, I know, there's no, I absolutely know. I can. It, it's harder for harder and harder for me to see how he gets out of this. Really? Yeah. Okay. How many votes have there been? Twelve. Twelve. Okay. No, two, how no, many 11, votes? eleven last night, and yeah. last the very last one yesterday. There was this. 11th hour deal 11th hour and the 11th yeah. vote, uh deal where this would it was designed on the part of people who were negotiating and i forget the person on the mccarthy side who was negotiating it but he told reporters that it would shake loose a couple of votes and then it would shine a light on the continued you know the people who are still recalcitrant yes. and put a ton of pressure on them and it moved precisely zero votes these people yeah, but it moved- are not budging okay so who's the speaker noah nobody right that's why mccarthy ends up speaker 
Well, no, because the problem is there have been McCarthy 11 allies. or 12 McCarthy ballots. allies will, I can see McCarthy as a failure of imagination not to see McCarthy allies who don't have any particular affections for the man. It's not about him. They it's about frustration. People are on record like now. It. Members are on record now. Named members are saying this isn't really about Kevin. It's about these other people. Steve Scalise is a very perfectly viable option as an alternative here. He's not a viable option. I don't know why. Why would you say that? Because there have been 12 ballots and he's not running. Somebody has to run against McCarthy. Either McCarthy has to quit right. or somebody no, has yes. to run it against would, would him and get 218 yeah. votes. No, it's a failure so of imagination McCarthy, not to see McCarthy having to, having to abdicate in favor of Scalise. It's not a failure of imagination. It is a failure of imagination not to see that McCarthy has literally no incentive not to let this go on forever. Okay, then how does he break out of it? I don't know. But <laughs> I don't know. But but in a coup, that's why this is so insane and why they're all insane and they need lithium and they need shock treatment and they need lobotomies because they don't have an alternative. It would be favorable on the part. Well, yeah, they don't. And, and they would, I, as much as I'd like to see reprisals for this kind of disruption, it's not going to happen. And the, the people who draw blood by getting McCarthy out, because getting McCarthy out is both a means and an end. That's what they want. I don't think they want anything other than that. Uh, and then Steve Scalise, if he's the alternative, whoever the alternative is, who's who's uh, acceptable to both sides of this agreement, knows how he got there, knows precisely who's responsible for his ascension, and knows what's waiting for him if he wrongs them. I feel like that's a, a pretty tangible victory on the part of the insurgents. From what I understand, there is no way on God's green earth that McCarthy is going to step aside for Steve Scalise. He does not like Steve Scalise. He will not be the author of Steve Scalise's ascension to the speakership. If that is the only alternative, he will stand there forever until they break. That's what well, I his, hear. His Maybe I'm wrong. Break. In this scenario, it would be his side that breaks. But breaks how? Well, a couple of members... A couple of members. And so then, then he, well, goes, that's a he goes from 200 to 190. Yeah. Oh, if, if, 10, to if there were 10 defections to... on the next vote, there would be 25. And then the vote after he that, has to be go, He has to go from 200 to zero. He doesn't have to go from 200 so to 100. First and all at once. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. There is no any softness on his side. Him. Any softness on his side is is the end. No, because you're having a failure of imagination. Because this is this is the sort of stuff that people have been saying, and it's been four days, and there has been no candidate that has arisen to say, "Okay, enough." End this. Who? Fred Upton, retired Fred Upton, who had to who had to retire because he was going to be primaried out of his job. Because he was too moderate, Fred Upton, Trump, this G Kevin Kern from Oklahoma. No, Donald I haven't said anybody who's not presently in leadership. Everybody who they say anybody who's presently in leadership is unacceptable to the insurgents. Those are the only people who are viable alternatives. There, if you are in the major, if you are in the two hundred, that's going to vote for McCarthy right now. You hate those 20 people more than you've hated anybody in your entire life. And it's not just McCarthy who is being humiliated. They are being humiliated. You think they're going to give them the win? I don't, that's why I'm saying the failure of imagination is not to understand that there is no way forward for the insurgents. They have hit their ceiling. So all they are, is the spoke in the wheel. But how do they become the wheel? So McCarthy's signed, given them things they want on this piece of paper. If they then say, no, I don't care. We don't, I don't care about the piece of paper. I don't know. Look, I don't know what happens, but I don't think he's the guilty. He, he can say, look, I went into these negotiations in good faith. They are not, all they want is to destroy. You think those 200 people are going to leave his side? By the way, it really isn't true. They like him. 
McCarthy is well-liked personally. Apparently he's a nice guy. He takes them on bike rides. He buys them, you know, he sends Diet Coke to their offices when people are late. Like, he is not disliked. Scalise is not that well-liked, by the way, which is another issue. But, um, well, the whip is never that well-liked. Whatever. Anyway, all right. Nobody likes <sighs> a nag. That's the problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. Okay, so uh, you know, like uh, we're like the we're like a panel during we're like a panel on a cable show during Lewinsky Gate. We're like a cable channel during for from from February nineteen ninety eight until November of nineteen ninety eight, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week on Fox and MSNBC and cnbc and cnn all they did was have these checkerboard panels where people just talked about the same issue over and over and over and over and over again with no so i think we'll be back monday probably doing the same thing trying to keep your attention well with, uh, with lewinsky gate yeah there was the prospect of new details emerging each time exactly we're, we're yeah. just we're just looking at the same set of facts we right. need a blue dress actually in this with the players in this one, we do. Yeah, no, we don't. Yeah, remotely yeah, like yeah. a blue dress. Yeah, we don't need a blue dress. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Match slap has the no, blue dress. no, no. Uh, okay, I had to say something. Um, so uh, we will be back on Monday for Abe, Christina, Noam, John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.